Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119. We're in Psalm 119 again this morning, and we're going to be looking specifically at verses 97 to 104 as we continue with our Summer in the Psalms series. Let me ask you a question. How does a Christian grow and mature spiritually? I'm guessing that most of us would first and foremost say, read your Bible. And we'd be right. That is absolutely critical to spiritual maturity. But it's not enough. There's something missing in that answer. There's something more that we need to do with God's word in order to get its full maturing effect in our lives. Oh, you mean we need to, to study it and listen to good biblical teaching and preaching and, and memorization? No, though, all, those are definitely critical to our spiritual growth as well. That's not really what I'm thinking of. Well, of course we need to then obey what we learn, right? And believe what the Bible says in order to grow. Is that what you mean? No, although those are also critical components. We obviously need to believe and do what we read in Scripture. That's still not exactly what I'm thinking of. What I'm thinking of is biblical meditation, meditating on the Scriptures, which takes us from reading to obeying, from learning to living out God's Word. And this is the theme of this morning's text, which we're going to look at now together. And I invite you to follow along as I read our text first, starting in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. As we hear these words, let's be reminded that this is the word of God, which is able to make us wise for salvation and equipped for every good work. Pastor and seminary professor James Alexander was known to be a very godly man. And when he was asked what the secret to his spiritual maturity was, he said that what he would do every morning after his Bible reading is he would take a certain verse or, or even a certain phrase and he would then meditate on it throughout the day. So that, as he put it, his day was filled with the, the spirit and the influence of God's word. Well, in the text we just read, we see that that was also the psalmist's practice. He too would meditate on God's word every day, throughout the day, and grew in godliness because of it. And the reason he recorded this experience here under the inspiration of God was to present to God's people the timeless transformative truth that to mature spiritually, we too must meditate on scripture. Now, what exactly does that mean and how exactly do we mature by it? Well, let's take a closer look at our text to find out. And our text begins, first of all, in verse 97 with the way of biblical meditation. In this very first verse, as the psalmist sets up the entire 
um, structure of this section or this strophe, he also gives us a, a really helpful summary of what meditation entails, meditating on scripture. And he begins by telling us why we would want to meditate on scripture in the first place. He starts off by saying, oh, how I love your law. Now, those are two words that people don't usually put together, do they? Love and law. But the psalmist did. Why did he do that? Well, it's because he was speaking of God's law. He was speaking of the word of God, where God had promised his people his life and his love. Look at what he says later in verse 159. This is just one example from Psalm 119. In this verse, he says, Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. Okay, he loved God's precepts because he knew through it he could experience the life and the love of God. You know, I never thought I could love words on a page until I received my first love letter from Colleen, my now wife, over 20 years ago. I was just completely enthralled with it. I read it over again and again and again and kept it in a safe place. Well, in a certain sense, the Bible is God's love letter to humanity, where he pledges his love to us and he promises life to us through Jesus Christ. And when we come to understand that more and more deeply, we will be enthralled with it, with the word of God, with this love letter from God. And we too will want to read it over and over again. In other words, we'll want to meditate on it, which is the second part of this first verse and and, uh, the, the psalmist summary. He goes on to tell us what it means to meditate on scripture. So, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation. Now, the Hebrew word translated meditation here denotes prayerful pondering. Uh, It means to muse on or think about or reflect upon something. And more specifically, it means taking up a subject repeatedly and then thinking about it thoroughly until it changes you. We might compare it to uh, chewing the cud uh, from a cow, right? After filling her stomach with grass, she, she settles down for a good long chew, bringing the previously digested food back up to, to rework it and to get all of the good nutrients she can out of it for optimal assimilation. Well, in a similar way, the psalmist here was chewing on God's word in his mind through meditation, working it over and over again in his mind and in his heart in order to to get all the spiritual nourishment he could out of it, while also making it then more digestible for his soul to to turn into spiritual life and energy and ultimately transformation. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer helpfully describes it like this. He says, meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. It's an activity of holy thought, 
consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communion with God. Or we read about it in Psalm 1 verse 3 this way, His delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, this is very different than the kind of meditation that is popular today. One advocates emptying the mind of all content in order to somehow connect with one's true inner self, while the other, biblical meditation, advocates filling the mind with scripture so that we can commune with the one true God and know him as he truly is. It's so important to make this distinction before practicing biblical meditation, lest we unknowingly turn it into something that is unbiblical and that is therefore detrimental to our spiritual well-being. Uh, an old Navigator's booklet on meditation gives this helpful warning. Beware of getting alone with your own thoughts. Get alone with God's thoughts. There's a danger in rummaging through waste and barren desert thoughts that can be labeled daydreaming or worse. Don't meditate on yourself and your own thoughts, but dwell on God. Make this a built-in habit of daily living. That's really what it means to meditate on scripture. But then finally, in this first verse, and this, this summary of biblical meditation, we also see when we should meditate on scripture. Psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And so biblical meditation for the psalmist was a, a consistent and constant practice. All the day he had God's word in and on his mind. Now, clearly that doesn't mean that this is just all he did, right? He wasn't just sitting around all day meditating on scripture in, in, a, in a very formal sense. No, we see in the rest of Psalm 119 that he lived a very regular life. But that regular godly life, nevertheless, was filled with God's word. And so really what he was doing was he was practicing Moses' command to Israel, his instruction to Israel in Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 to 9, where Moses said, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, he was telling all of Israel that they were to meditate on God's word. Their lives were to be filled with his commands. That means that this is something we all are called to do. All of Israel was called to do this. And now all of us who belong to the church are to do the same. God commanded it. The psalmist practiced it. And we therefore have no excuse to be neglecting this, do we? But sadly, it is so neglected in our day. And I think one reason maybe is because we we find ourselves so busy. We think, well, I barely have enough time to, to read the Bible and, and listen to, to the preaching and teaching of God's word and maybe do a little bit of memorization. Do I really have time to meditate on scripture? Well, it's interesting to look at the example of Joshua. 
He was specifically commanded to do this by God in Joshua 1 verse 8, even though he had the massive responsibility of leading the nation of Israel into the promised land. So we read in this verse, God says to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Now, notice again that biblical meditation, it was to be practiced regularly. Joshua was supposed to do this day and night as he went about his day-to-day lives. And that's what, again, we are called to do too. And we'll talk about what that looks like a little bit later. But there's certain times where meditating on scripture is especially important and helpful. And I just want to mention two. First, meditating on scripture is vital to experiencing a dynamic prayer life that turns the, the propositions and principles and promises of God's word into powerful petitions. The Puritans called meditation the halfway house between reading God's word and prayer, which means they would first read a portion of scripture or on on the Lord's day, they would hear the word of God preached. Then they would meditate on it for a time. And then they would turn that into prayer. They would pray, pray accordingly to what they have learned about God and about themselves and about redemption. And this is actually the very pattern we see all over the Psalms. There's pondering God's word, which is then turned into prayer and praise. And so if you struggle with prayer, especially maybe more uh, intense, longer prayer, and and you find yourself easily distracted and you're not sure, I'm not sure what to pray, follow this practice. First read the word and then meditate on part of it and then pray in light of it. But then second, meditating on scripture is also vital to gaining the most benefit from the weekly preaching and teaching of God's word on the Lord's day. You know, I'm sure we've all had the experience of listening to a sermon in the morning and we were edified and we were encouraged by it. But then later on in the day, someone asks us, what did you think about the sermon? You're thinking, well, it was good. It was helpful. It was encouraging. But honestly, I can't really remember much about it. You know, I immediately after the service, uh, visited with some folks and then went out for lunch, had a nap, got together with some people. And by the time the evening came and I started to think a bit about it, I realized I'm not really sure what we learned and I don't really remember what difference it should make in my life this week. Well, meditation is the key to retaining what we've learned and then relating it to life. Right? It's taking time immediately after service, or if that's not possible, maybe later on in the day, taking the time to think over what we've heard, to apply it to our lives, and then pray for God's help to let that word that was taught to us that morning transform us as well. And this is actually what Jesus was getting at. Uh, when he was preaching God's word, he repeatedly told his listeners, take care how you hear. He was, amongst other things, referring to meditation here, right? Don't let it just go in one ear and out the other, but take care about how you're, pay careful attention and then meditate on it. Think it over, chew on it 
and apply it and let it transform your life. Like many other Puritans, Thomas Manton wrote about this very thing. He said, what is the reason there's so much preaching and so little practice? It's for want of meditation. Constant thoughts are operative and musing makes the fire burn. Green wood is not kindled by a flash or spark, but by constant blowing. That's a great image, isn't it, of meditation. We, we hear the word preached on Sunday and, and like a little spark, it falls into our heart and our lives. But unless we blow on it through meditation and let it uh, become more and more apparent to us what it means and how it should apply to our lives, we'll never really get fully out of the preaching of God's word what we should. Well, that is the, the way of biblical meditation, right? It's thinking it over, it's pondering, it's reflecting on it, like the cow chewing its cud, and then applying it to our lives so that it transforms us day by day. But of course, there's much more here in our text about meditation, and that takes us to the second part, verse 98 to 100, where the psalmist tells us the wisdom from biblical meditation. Now, at first glance, the psalmist assertion in 98 to 100 might sound presumptuous, like he's building himself up as this wise guru, superior to everyone else. But considering the context of exalting not himself, but rather throughout this whole chapter, he's exalting God's word, it's clear he's comparing the true wisdom of God here to the false wisdom of man. Okay, so the only reason he's wiser than others is because his meditation all the day is on Scripture, the one and only source of God's wisdom. And we see that in these three verses because when he says, you know, this has made me wiser than so-and-so, then he has that all-important word, for. For tells us there's going to have the reason now. And so what he's saying is, I'm wiser because of this. And what is it? It's because of God's word. And this is true for all of us who follow suit. So first of all, he says, biblical meditation made him and will make us wiser than our enemies. Verse 98, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies for, here's the reason, it's ever with me. Okay, so the scriptures were the psalmist's constant guide. He was never without them. He was always meditating on them. After all, we saw last week in verse 11, he'd stored up God's word in his heart. Well, that memorization, coupled with then meditation, made him wiser than his enemies, those who had rejected God's law, those who had no fear of God. And as we know throughout the Psalms and Proverbs especially, it is the fear of God which leads to true wisdom. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, Psalm 14, 1. Whereas the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding, Psalm 111, verse 10. And so church, we should not be surprised then that we see such mind-boggling irrationality and, and rampant foolishness in our culture, in our world today. It's because there is so little fear of God. And where there is no fear of God, there is no genuine wisdom either. But when we have the fear of God and we meditate on God's word like the psalmist, we will then be wiser than our enemies, than those who are against God and his people. But that's not all. Verse 19, or sorry, 99 tells us that biblical meditation will also make us wiser than our educators. 
He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Now again, the psalmist is not talking about teachers whose foundation is the Bible. And he's not saying that, oh, well, as believers, we should assume our teachers can teach us nothing, even if they're not believers. But rather he's saying, no, those who base their beliefs and build their worldview apart from divine revelation will ultimately lack godly wisdom. Now, since the testimonies and statutes and decrees of God were his meditation, the psalmist, therefore, can say, I have more understanding about the true ultimate nature of reality than my teachers who base their knowledge on human observation alone. Right? Their knowledge is based on a finite, infallible knowledge of God, whereas my wisdom is based on the infinite, infallible revelation of God. So their pagan presumptions blinded them to the full orb truth of creation, and let alone the glorious truths of revelation, so clearly revealed in scripture. And that, of course, continues on today, thousands of years later. We see it especially in much of secular academia, where there's lots of knowledge, to be sure, lots to learn, but ultimately that true wisdom from God is missing. John Newton once met a man who told him he'd read every word of the Old Testament 17 times, but he could not find the doctrine of atonement, the doctrine of salvation. Well, Newton replied, I'm not surprised at this. I once went to light my candle with the extinguisher on it. Now, prejudices from education, learning, etc. often form an extinguisher. It's not enough that you bring the candle. You must remove the extinguisher. That's a helpful illustration and image too, isn't it? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1.20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Biblical meditation makes us in that sense wiser even than our educators because we can see again the truth of reality and the truth of what God is doing, his purposes, his redemptive purposes in this world. But then finally, in verse 100, the psalmist says, biblical meditation will also made him and will make us wiser than our elders. He says, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Now, let's be clear. The scriptures routinely hold up the wisdom and counsel of those who've lived a long life and encourages younger people to go to those who have, have much more life experience for counsel. But here's the thing, life experience divorced from God's word becomes dead and deceptive tradition. Jesus warned of this in Matthew 15, 4. He says, for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. And so the psalmist here, he had gained true understanding by, by not only knowing, but keeping God's precepts as he also then, through that lens, had life experience and also was benefited from the life experience of his elders. But those who maybe have a lot of life experience, if it's not grounded on divine revelation, ultimately it will not be true godly wisdom. Biblical revelation, on the other hand, gives us that wisdom. And that's the second part of our text. But there's more. The psalmist concludes by finally telling us about the work of biblical meditation in his life. 
He ends this section by sharing what meditating on scripture had accomplished in his life and what it can accomplish in ours besides gaining wisdom. And first of all, we see that it changes our actions. Verse 101 and 102, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me. So throughout the Bible, and especially the Psalms and Proverbs, we are presented with two paths. There's the path of unrighteousness that leads to death and curse. It's the every evil way of verse 101. But the path of righteousness, on the other hand, leads to life and blessing. It's the your rules of verse 102. The psalmist explains here that by meditating on scripture every day, he had been taught by God how to stay on that narrow way that leads to life. It held him back from every evil way and from turning aside from God's law. So meditating on scripture, we might say it was is like driver assist today that when we're driving, it keeps us right from dangerously veering off from one lane to the other. Verse 15 of Psalm 119 Uh, also says this, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways, right? Meditating on scripture will keep me on your way, your path, the path of righteousness. And so meditating on scripture changes our actions, but it also changes our appetites. I love what he says in verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And when I read that, I, I thought about a study that I had seen recently that shows The longer you chew your food, the better it tastes. The more you you get the intricacies and the flavors in your mouth. Well, the same goes for scripture. The more we chew on it, the more we meditate on God's word, the sweeter it tastes. And what happens is the more we desire its truth. Like Job, who said, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food, Job 23 12. And so listen, if you have very little spiritual appetite for the Bible, you know, if if reading scripture and hearing the preaching of God's word, if it's more like eating Brussels sprouts, you know, you, you force them down because you know they're good for you, even though they taste terrible. Sorry to anyone who actually likes Brussels sprouts. If that's your experience with God's word, rather than it being like, honey, oh, it's so sweet. And I just want more and more and more. Well, meditating on scripture changes your tastes. And it, like nothing else, will give you a craving for God's word, a hunger for it. 17th century missionary John Williams, he was once greeted by a man in the South Pacific whose hands and feet had been eaten off by a terrible disease and who had to walk on his knees. Now, Williams was struck by this man who was often found begging beside the road because he had this joyful knowledge of God's word. And when he asked him how he had obtained this knowledge and this joy, especially in his circumstances, the man said, well, as people return from the service at the nearby church, I sit by the wayside and beg a bit of the word from each of them as they pass by. One gives me one piece, another, another piece, and I collect them together in my heart. And by thinking over and over what I have obtained, I pray that God would help me to know and I understand bit by bit a little bit of his word. What a a hunger, what a craving for God's word. 
Well, that's what comes when we meditate on it, like this man did and like the psalmist. It changes our appetite. But that's not all. Finally, it also changes our attitudes. Verse 104, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Did you notice that the psalmist, at the beginning of this section, this strophe, he, he said how he loved God's law. Well, now he concludes with the other side of it, that he hates every false way. Meditating on scripture profoundly shaped his attitude towards truth and towards error, towards the word of God and the word of men. And listen, it will do the same for us as well. The more time we spend in the word and we fill our minds and throughout the day, we're just, when we have time meditating on scripture, we will come to find that we absolutely love more and more the truth and we absolutely hate more and more error. We love righteousness and we hate the sin in our lives. Verse 29, the psalmist says this, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Listen, once you've been begun to gain and, and grow in your understanding of God from his precepts and walk on that life-giving path of righteousness and truth, you will see just how heinous and harmful the path of unrighteousness is. And you'll come to hate it. And like the psalmist, you, you'll want to stay away from it as far as possible. It's like pouring over a map in a, in a foreign city that you're, you're traveling in. And as you look over it, you notice there's warning. Stay away from this street. Stay away from this area of the city, especially at this time of day or night, because it is very dangerous. Well, what are you going to do as you meditate on that map and look over it and pour over it? You're going to do everything you can to stay away from those places for your safety. Well, that's what meditating on scripture does as we walk through this life spiritually. And again, that's why it is so vital to our spiritual maturity. It changes our actions, it changes our appetites, it changes our attitudes towards God's word because we see where it directs us, down the path of righteousness, the path of life. And so again, to mature spiritually, we must meditate on scripture. We must make that a part of our day-to-day -day life, chewing on it, thinking it over, pondering it, reflecting on it, applying it to every situation we find ourselves in. That again is the timeless transformative truth of our text. And for that matter, so many others, especially in the Psalms, which means it's something that we need to take seriously today. So where do we start then? How do we begin to put this principle into practice? Well, let me close by suggesting that we follow the example of one of my heroes of the faith, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who once shared this practice in a memorable way, saying too how important it was for his spiritual growth. He says, I often find it very profitable to get a text as a sweet morsel under my tongue in the morning and then keep the flavor of it, if I can, in my mouth all day. Isn't that a great image? In other words, just like James Alexander, who I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, he would get a Bible verse or passage right away in the morning and then he'd ponder it throughout the day so it would have an influence on his day. Spurgeon would take a text that was especially sweet to him 
And he would then savor it throughout the day, kind of like sucking on a candy throughout the day. Well, church, I think that's a great practice and a great way to start putting what we've learned about biblical meditation into practice. And so let me just encourage you to start with that today. And maybe today, starting this afternoon, or maybe tomorrow morning, choose a short verse or a short phrase from Scripture, maybe um, from something we've talked about today in the sermon or something that you read in your daily Bible reading, but something that you find especially helpful and especially sweet. And then take a few minutes to meditate on it, to prayerfully reflect on what it means and why it matters. And then ask yourself, first and foremost, what does this passage or this verse tell me about God? my rock and my redeemer? And then what does it tell me about humanity and and what difference should it make in my life? Maybe think over other passages that are on the same theme that might shed some light on it. Um, Also consider whether it's a, a prescription or is it a promise? Is it law or is it gospel? Is it telling me what I should do or what God has done for me? And then bring it back to Christ our glorious Savior, who ultimately we know fulfills all scripture and should be the end and the supreme subject of our meditation. And once you've spent a few minutes doing that, that initial meditation, then then let those biblical thoughts and those biblical truths return to you throughout the day. Acknowledge them at different times of the day. Apply them to different situations you face in your life and allow them most of all throughout the day to fan the flame of love for Christ in your hearts. What a difference that makes. Just a few minutes each day to meditate on Scripture. To meditate on God's Word. And let those life-giving truths fill your day. And transform your life. And mature you spiritually. As Andrew Murray said, Hold the Word of God in your heart until it has affected every phase of your life. That's biblical meditation. Let's close now by asking God to help us to put this biblical teaching into practice for our good and his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We're thankful for the work it does in our lives, giving us life and showing us the path of life, the path of godliness in which you want us to live. And Lord, we've seen clearly this morning that meditating on scripture is a key part to that. So I pray, God, that we would start to put this into practice. Right now, today, we would meditate on what we've learned about meditation from your word. And as we think it over throughout our day and let it steep in our minds and we chew on it and its truths, it would truly transform us. Again, for our good and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.